So let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray and we'll dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are a great and an awesome God. But we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. Lord, we don't want the words of man, but we pray that the word of God would go forth with power. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said. So First Chronicles, as a quick reminder, was a book that was written as the children of Israel were being delivered out of bondage in Babylon and returning back to, to Jerusalem. And as they were coming back, they were given a history lesson through First Chronicles, reminding them of what Jerusalem and what Israel was like before they went into bondage. Because many that were coming back had been born in captivity, and now they're coming back to Israel. Now, First Chronicles, as we've talked about, we'll see tonight the end of David, King David's life. First Chronicles focuses mainly on King David. Second Chronicles mainly on King Solomon. We're going to see that torch being passed tonight. And we're going to also see again, last week, if you were here, I told the message, be strong and do it. David was at the end of his life, and he was exhorting the people that he was going to leave behind when he went to heaven to keep the main thing, the main thing, to keep the focus on, the, on Almighty God, to not lose sight and get caught up in idolatry. See, they had just come back. In this case, this is the reminder to them. They'd come back from a land filled with idolatry. And so certainly in this first Chronicles, as they're being exhorted again to remain faithful to the Lord. David's passion was for the Lord and to see the next generations that followed him, love, worship, serve, and follow the Lord. To speak into the lives of those who will carry the torch after he is gone, to focus on that which will outlast this life. By the way, uh, this life is a vapor compared to eternity. And when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And he also exhorted them to serve God with their whole heart, to do everything they could to help others to be successful in their walks with the Lord and then to be strong and do it. So as we come to chapter 29, the theme of this final chapter, and if you're visiting, I'm going to make it really clear to you, it's, tonight's chapter is about giving. And so at Calvary Chapel, we do not believe that anyone should ever give without a cheerful heart. Amen? And we don't, we don't need your resources. God doesn't need your resources. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We'll see that tonight. And so that's why we don't pass an offering. We don't want people to feel guilted into giving. And, we don't, and we're not one of those churches where you know, we'll, we'll teach you the nonsense of uh, you, know, you give and then God will give you more so you give so we can get rich. That's a bunch of nonsense and it grieves the heart of God. Amen? But we do teach the whole counsel of God. And when we get to a chapter on giving, we're going to teach it. Amen? And my prayer is that you will learn the reality that giving should be a get-to and not a have-to that God does love a cheerful giver. And so we want to give from a cheerful heart. Again, we don't give to man, we give to the Lord. We don't really give to a church as much as we give to the Lord. We don't really give to a ministry. We're giving to the Lord because it's all God's resources. And you know what? We just need to be faithful to do that. So grab your outline if you've got it. God loves a cheerful giver. By the way, if you didn't get one, my, my printer went down as I was printing them tonight. Hopefully I'll get it fixed tonight. Uh, I tell the message, God loves a cheerful giver. We're going to have six points. First of all, we're going to see that we're called to give to the Lord. Again, we don't give to men, but to the Lord. Again, we purpose in our hearts beforehand. We give over and above, and we give of our first fruits. We give God of our best, not of the rest. And I'm not just talking about resources, but our time and our talents. So God has gifted you uniquely, and God wants to use you for his glory, and we should be faithful to that. 
We're also going to see that leaders give, that people that are called to serve in ministry in any way, shape, or form should be people who give. Now, I don't know who gives in this church, and I don't want to know. I don't count the offerings. I never have. I just see the total. And as you know, we, we saw on Sunday, we're supporting a church plant in Brazil. We support an orphanage in Uganda. We support, uh, again, a, uh, a what's it called? It's not called Crisis Pregnancy Center anymore, Ohana. Uh, we support, we're on a bunch of radio stations all over the, the country, basically, in Hawaii, the West Coast, Nevada. And God uses those things, and we also give to people that are in need in our fellowship, and there's a lot of other things that we give to. And the only time I ask, I don't never ask what anybody gives, but if we're thinking about putting someone in a position of leadership, I won't ask how much, I'll just ask, do they give on a regular basis? Because somebody who serves needs to be somebody who gives. Amen? And that's a biblical standard. And you know what? It's a, it's a reflection of where that person's heart is. I do not believe that somebody, and again, please, you guys who know me any length of time know that this is where we are, and that's why I'm teaching it. But I truly believe this. I don't believe anybody who's spiritually mature does not give. Because if we're truly spiritually mature, we will give because we want to invest in that which will outlast this life. Amen? We want to give to that which will impact eternity. And we, have gen- we should have generous hearts. So leaders give. They give willingly. You give what, out of what you have. Give with joy and give all of your time, your treasures, and your talents. Number three, recognize where everything you have comes from. So everything that we have comes from the Lord. Everything. Every breath that we take is a gift from God. Amen? The homes we live in, the cars that we drive, the talents that we have, the gifting that we have, it's all a gift from God that he gives to us. And we want to be faithful and good stewards of what God has placed in our hands. Parable of the talents. He said he gave one five, one, you know, two and one whether well, it's one and two and five and one and five and 10, depending on which parable you look at. And they buried, one buried them in the sand and God was grieved by that. And we don't want to take the talents and the gifts God's given us and just hold on to them and give them back to him when he returns. We're called to use the gifts he's given us. So there's three kinds of givers. There's those who give out of guilt and we don't ever want you to do that. By the way, if you see someone on television that says or radio, if you don't give this week, we're going to go off the air. Here's my response. Go off the air then. And here's why, because where God guides, God provides, and you don't have to twist people's arms, and you don't have to manipulate people to get them to give. If God's in it, God will provide for it. Where God guides, God provides, amen? And so we need to see that there's those who give out of guilt, and we, I pray you would never do that. Those who have to be convinced that something's worthwhile. So if I give, where's it going? Where's it, you know, and again, if you're, I don't care whether you give here or not, we will open up our books, show you where every dime goes, uh, because it all belongs to the Lord, and we want to be good stewards of it. As you know, all the pastors here have full-time jobs, so we're not spending, you know, we're not investing a lot in, in staff and all that kind of stuff. Again, most of what we invest in is ministry, including the ministry that comes from the pulpit. We also see that there, there are those who give cheerfully out of love for the Lord, and that should be our heart. We should give because we love the Lord, because he first loved us. So we give to him in response. It's interesting. I was talking to one of my sons and, I was, and he's, you know, he's got a job and he lives in Colorado. And, and uh, we were talking about that. He's like, dad, you know, uh, you know, when you give. And I said, well, I use the example I was, I was taught when I was a little boy. When my dad was a, pa- my dad was a pastor for 60 years before he went to heaven. And one of the examples, now you'll know that I'm old, because I'm, and I am, but uh, my allowance was 25 cents a week, okay? And my dad would give me my allowance in two dimes and a nickel so I could give to the Lord. 
And so when I would go to church on Sunday, they would pass the little white church with the slot in the top. Remember that? If you go, you're old if you've ever seen one of those. Okay. And they would pass it through Sunday school and I would put my, my nickel in there, my 20% of my, right? And I'd have 20 cents to buy baseball cards or something else. And what my dad always taught me, and it's something I've lived by my entire life, give first, save second, live on the rest. And so I've, tr- I've taught my kids that. And I was reminding my son of that because he's in a position where he's a single dad and he's got a child he's raising and all that stuff that he's going through. And I'm like, son, give, give to the Lord first, save second, live on the rest. God will provide. Amen. And it's amazing because it was hard for him because things were already tight. And then he called me the other day and he goes, dad, you're not going to believe this. I just got this big bonus at church at work that I didn't expect to get. Now we don't give so God will give. Can I get an amen to that? That's manipulation. That's nonsense. That whole seed giving thing, that's not biblical. Seed in the Bible is never money. It's always God's word. Amen? Plant your seed offering. Well, the seed offering is the word of God. Point I'm making though is God will provide for us. Amen? Now he may not provide your wants, but he will provide for your needs. Amen? And we need to be faithful in that. And God is faithful. So we want to cheerfully give. We want to invest in the kingdom of God. Number four there, give all you have to the Lord. And what I'm talking about here is in light of what he's done for us, we, for his glory as an act of worship, we don't just give him of our resources, we give him of our time and our talents, and we want to take all that God has given us and use it for his glory, not for ours. Amen? Give it for his good pleasure, not for ours. Number five, worship and celebrate the Lord and all he has done for you. We should have joy in both times of sacrifice and joy in the Lord, and then live a life that leaves a godly testimony. I'm going to trip and fall on this thing. Hang on. Worship leaders taking over the world. (laughs) That's a Pastor Chuck quote. Tim's the only one that got it. All right. Open up your Bibles, if you already haven't, to 1 Chronicles 29. We'll begin there that God loves a cheerful giver. Now, David's life is winding down. David's passing off, passing the torch to his son, Solomon. He's exhorted them, again, to be faithful, to build the temple. He's exhorted them to continue to worship God. He didn't talk about winning battles over their enemies. His whole focus was on making sure that God remained the priority in Israel. And then we get to verse 1, and it says this, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, who alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. So first thing we're going to see here, that the work is great, and we know that the work is great because the work is for the Lord. Anytime we're doing anything for the Lord, we want to give him our best, not our rest. Amen? We want to give him the best of our time and our talents. We want to take what, whatever we do for the Lord, let's do it again with, with uh, I don't know what the right word is, greatness. I don't know what the right word is, with sincerity. So like, for example, the Bible talks about when you teach the word. I don't care if you're teaching four or five-year-olds on Sunday, or you're teaching a coliseum full of people, we need to be prepared to teach God's word. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If we're going to lead worship, we need to be prepared to lead worship. If we're going to set up the chairs, let's do it as unto the Lord. If we're going to be working on live stream, we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we do with excellence because we're doing it for the Lord. Amen? Now, so he says it's for the Lord, But he also points out that Solomon is the one to take his place. Now, we know that after this takes place, after uh, even after David dies, 
that Ishbosheth is going to try to put up someone else to be king, and the Lord is going to, again, bring an end to that. There's going to have to be a battle that takes place. So even though God has a man or a woman for a position, often the enemy will try to thwart that, and we know that's going to take place. But he says, Solomon is the man because we had a vote and everybody voted for him. Is that what it says? What does it say? Whom alone God has chosen. So God is the one who raises up and sets down. And so we, we don't, you know, have, uh, you know, political rallies for who should be in ministry in a certain way. We will look for those who God has delivered. So Solomon was chosen by God in his youth and inexperience. Just to give you an idea, he's probably in his early teens, probably 13 or 14 years old. And he's following in the footsteps of King David, who had his own issues, as we know, Bathsheba. But, uh, was also the greatest king that Israel ever had, according to the word of God. So here he is, a teenage boy, and he's going to be filling his dad's shoes, and that's a heavy place to be. And so he's going to surround him with godly counselors that can help him to be faithful to what God has called him to do. You know, uh, he has a lot of growing to do, and his, his dad, David, did when he was chosen. Remember, David was anointed king over Israel when he was a teenager, and you remember when he was anointed king over Israel, he was out watching over the sheep. And when he was anointed the king, that they didn't really tell anybody else. His family knew. Remember Samuel came to his father Jesse and said, you know, one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. And he started marching all his sons in. And even Samuel's like, that guy's Rico Suave, good looking, tall, yoked. That must be him. Nope, not him. And they go through the list and he's like, do you have any more sons? Well, we got the ruddy little redheaded one out in the field out there. You want me to go get him? And they go out and bring him in. And what's that famous verse that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And he said, this is the man God has. And he was anointed as king on the spot. Saul was still in, in place. And we know that David spent some 20 years on the run from Saul. He slayed Goliath, but after that, the people were singing, Saul has slayed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul got jealous and we saw repeated attempts to kill David and David hiding in caves and running for his life. And all of that was preparation for David to be king. Well, Solomon's going to go through some tough times and all of that is preparation for Solomon to be king. And you and I go through difficult times and all of that is preparation for how God wants to use us going forward. Amen. No suffering is wasted, and whatever we go through in life, God will use it for his glory if we will but let him. We grow when we walk in intimate fellowship with God and when we surround ourselves with people who are more spiritually mature than we are, people who can disciple us and pour into our lives. I'm so thankful there's three, whenever I get to Pastor Appreciation Month, which is October, right? I, I reach out to, I used to reach out to three men, write them letters and tell them how much I appreciate them. And the first one was my dad, who's now in heaven. So I just thank God for him. My pastor in Lancaster, his name is John Snodderly. He, for 10 years, I was his assistant. He's the one that ordained me as a pastor. And he would, sometimes after church, we would sit out in the parking lot till three in the morning with him just pouring into my life. And I'm so thankful for him. And then I served on staff with Don McClure, the wisest man I've ever met in my life. And he poured into my life as well. And so praise God for those who disciple us. And you know, after my son went to heaven, who do you think the first two guys I called were? I called John Snodley, I called Don McClure. And they ministered to me in the midst of my grief. 
And they continue to minister to me. And the point is this, that here's Solomon. He's the king. He's the one chosen by God, but he can't do this on his own. And just because you're gifted by God, you can never do it on your own. Without him, we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we need other believers to surround us. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Amen? When you're not in fellowship, you're not going to grow in the way that you should. But notice it says the end of that verse, and the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord. Not for man, but for the Lord. We're going to see when we get to verse 9 that they offered willingly to the Lord. We get caught up in the human perspective of things, and we see the needs of a church for its rent, its salaries, its missions, its expenses. We may see the pastor up front each week, and we think that's what we're giving to. But we're not. We're giving to the Lord. Amen? Now, I'll never forget this. My grandmother, who's also now in heaven, who was one of the sweetest, uh, most godly women. She was the ultimate grandma. She was obviously my grandmother my whole life. And man, I loved her so much. But she lived out out in Joshua Tree, which is out in the middle of nowhere, right? And she only had a few TV channels. And one of them was TBN. And she would watch TBN and she would, I'd come to visit her and she'd say, oh, I, I, had to send, I had to spend, I had to send them some money because those poor people, you know, and, and they've got this and they've got that. And I'm like, grandma, no, no, they're not poor at all. They're, don't, don't give to those people. Now, let me say this. God will deal with those who are manipulating people for resources. And I believe God will still bless my grandmother because she gave with a heart as unto the Lord, even though the people that did it were fleecing her. Now, if you know you're being fleeced, don't give to them. Amen. But that being said, I believe also God looks at the heart of of a woman who was a widow at that time, who had very little income, and she was giving sacrificially because she thought these people were doing things for the Lord. And so we, we need to give and, and trust the Lord with it, and let God deal with those who are manipulated. But at the same time, if you're aware that there's a ministry that's not fruitful, here's what I always tell people to do. Give to ministries that minister to you. Amen? Give to ministries that minister to you. I, I have ministries that minister to me, and I give to them. I obviously give here, and I give to ministries that, again, minister to me. We want to see, we want to give to ministries that bear fruit, but we're not really giving to the individual church. In a sense, we should make sure the church we're giving to is being fruitful and using it for the Lord if we can, but ultimately we're giving it to the Lord. Guys, God doesn't want your money and he doesn't need it. He wants your heart. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? And so, you know, where my heart is will be reflected in my behavior and what I invest in. God wants us to recognize our need for him and to recognize that all that we have comes from him. So we give back to him from what he gives us. Verse two, and it says there, now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things, bronze for things to be made of bronze, iron for things to be made of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. So David, remember, wanted to build the temple for the Lord. You remember he had a beautiful house in Jerusalem and he looked and said, how can I have a wonderful house and God's meeting in a tent? And we're meeting in a tent. Can I get him into that? But they're meeting in a tent. And he said, I want to build a temple for the Lord. And so he began to gather all the materials and God gave him uh, the instructions for what it should look like. He basically gave him the blueprint, but then he told him, but David, you can't build it because you're a man of war, because you're a man who shed blood. Now, was David in sin for being a man of war? What's the answer? No, he was doing what God wanted him to do, 
But God wanted his temple to be built from a man of peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Amen? And so he has a heart to build it. When he finds out he can't, he doesn't take his ball and go home and pout. What does he do instead is he gets all the materials ready. He's got the blueprints out. He brings it all together knowing that his son's going to be the one to build it, but he's going to put everything in place so that when he goes to heaven, his son can step in and build the temple. And so that's David's heart. And we see here all the gold and all the silver and all the bronze and all the onyx stones. And he went and found the best of everything, not to build a house for himself, but to build a house for the Lord. Again, everything in the temple pointed to the Lord. We know that. If you come to church for any length of time, we know from the bronze laver, the cross of Cal- uh, the bronze altar, the cross of Calvary, the bronze laver, baptism, you know, the golden lampstand, he's the light of the world, the table of showbread, he's the bread of life, the altar of incense. Again, he intercedes on our behalf daily. Everything that's inside the ark, you know, uh, Aaron's rod, he's the great high priest. Manna, he is the bread of life. The Ten Commandments, he is the word. The angels on top, the mercy seat, his, through his grace, his mercy covers our sin. And the angels again, a picture of when Jesus rose from the dead that we saw that when they walked into the tomb, there are angels on each end and Jesus' blood stained clothes in the middle. So everything in the temple was pointing to Jesus. So it had to be done right and done with excellence because it was pointing to Jesus. Amen. So it couldn't be done halfway. And so David is preparing it and David wants to make sure he does everything he can to make his son successful as king. He knows that his son's going to need the Lord's help. He knows that ultimately it comes from God, but he also wants to do everything he can to help his son be a godly and a faithful king. And isn't that what every parent wants for their children? Amen? We want our children to love and serve and honor the Lord. And we want to do the best we can to raise them up in the way that they should go so when they're old, they will not depart from it. The Bible says, we'll see this in a couple of weeks in 2 John, that, that I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. There's nothing better than that. And so David's preparing his son. He's getting all the implements together. He's surrounded him. We already saw that he's surrounded him with the musicians. We saw this a couple of chapters ago, the gatekeepers, right? All these mighty men that are going to be his security guards and leaders of his army. And he's getting everything in place. So when he dies and he goes to heaven, his son will be successful. So David purposed in his heart what to give. And he went out and found everything he could find and everything that was needed so that, uh, again, his son would have everything he needed to build the temple. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, David gave out of his heart because he loves God. And again, he could have been upset because he's not going to build the temple, but he wasn't. His whole heart was, I just want to give to the Lord. I'll put it in his hands. Guys, if we can't give cheerfully, recognizing all the Lord has done for us, that all we have belongs to him, it's better off not to give at all. Don't give. God will provide. Where your treasures, there your heart will be also. If we truly love the Lord, again, giving is an act of worship, and it's a get-to, not a have-to. So we prepare to give, and it says back, it also says in 1 Corinthians 16, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, so you do. Upon the first day of the week, let everyone uh, you have, take from what you have in store, and as God has prospered him, let him give unto the Lord. So we want to give from a heart 
honoring to God, again, not to impress people. Uh, Bible says, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, right? We don't want to boast about it. We don't want, all we do is we give it to the Lord as an act of worship, recognizing that he has blessed us richly. Now we might say, well, I'm not that, I, I'm not that wealthy. And you know what? It's not about the portion we give, it's the proportion. Amen? Remember the woman with the widow's mite? One guy came in blowing horns and giving all the stuff and having everybody see him. And she walked up and gave, you know, a couple of mites. And the Lord said she gave more than them all because they gave out of their abundance and she gave out of her lack. And so God knows what you have and don't have. And you just give, you know, what the Lord puts on your heart and don't, and nobody else needs to know what you're giving. That's between you and the Lord. And you do it as unto him and for no other reason. Then verse 3 says, Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. Now, what's amazing about this is David has already given a huge amount. And now, when it talks about him going over and above, when you go into the original language, the kings in those days would always have something set aside in case... Uh, they were overtaken in war, or they had to run for their lives, or they were dethroned. And so they would keep a special amount set aside for their own well-being if something drastic would happen. And what this verse is actually telling us that David gave out of that. David held nothing back. David said, look, you cannot give God. Uh, I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to give from the depths of my heart from all that I have. David was giving over and above, and he already, back in 1 Chronicles 22, had given 100,000 talents of gold and a million talents of silver. 100,000 talents of gold in today's, in today's resources is $5.7 billion. That's an offering. Can I get an amen to that? And it's about $9 million in silver. Now, that's according to today's I even looked it up today. I'm a math guy. I looked it up. It's $1,628.87 per ounce that I multiply times 2,000 times 16. Divide. And then it comes out to $5.7 billion. So he gave that much already, and then he's going to give above and beyond that. Now, again, we don't pass an offering here. I'm not trying to get people you know, to give money. I don't want, no, you give cheerfully from the Lord. I'm just showing you David's heart was, I can't outgive God because what he's done for me. No matter how much I give him, it's nothing compared to eternity. Amen? And so David gave over and above. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Now I will tell you, dear friends, what God in the kindness has done for the churches of Macedonia. Though they may be going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. If God moves on your heart to give to someone in need or to give to a ministry, do you think that God's going to have you starve if he's the one that told you to give? Now, if you're manipulated by a man, you might, but if you're giving to the Lord and for the Lord, God's not going to let you starve. And again, all that nonsense you see of manipulating people and making people think he's a holy Santa Claus in the sky, and if you give money to him, you're going to get rich. If your motivation for giving to the Lord is to get more worldly stuff, keep it. Can I get an amen to that? Because that's not why we give. I love what Rob McCoy says, if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. 
And what he means by that, first of all, I love Rob. He's one of my closest friends. And uh, we're very different in, the, in, in ministry ways, but that's okay. And we love each other. And he's got his calling and I've got mine. And we were youth pastors together. But he's the most generous man I've ever met in my life. If you go up to Rob and tell him you like his shirt, he'll probably take it off and give it to you. And I've seen him do it. I, someone mentioned his watch. He took his watch. I said, that's Rob. He, but you know what? You know why God allowed, you know, blesses him in such a way? Because he's, he's really quick to not hold on to it, and he gives it away. So guys, if, you know, if, if God does bless us, he wants us to use it for his glory, not just for our comfort. Amen? And, as we, and what do you hear people say? Well, I'm going to retire comfortable. Well, God sent us a comforter because we're not supposed to be comfortable. Amen? So he gave over and above what I had prepared for the house. And again, uh, I just love, and by the way, you know, things that God has taught me, many of the things that God has taught me, I remember when we had our first child. And when you have your first child, and I always tell people this when they're pregnant with their first child, you're going to be blown away how much you love that baby. No matter how much you think you're going to love that baby, beyond that, to the point where it's, it's a love you've never experienced in your life. It's just a reality. Okay, when you hold that baby in your hands, I mean, my baby girl, I would have given her everything, and I would drive to work and think about her and cry. I mean, that's how much I love my daughter, right? And then, and then you think you're gonna have another baby, and you think, well, can I possibly love this one as much as that one? Right? There's a mentality in your head, and and you, I'm sure you think you do, but you know, and you think, am I gonna be dividing my love between my kids? But here's what happens: when I had my second child, the love doubled. When I had my third child, the love tripled. When I had my fourth child, the love quadrupled. And now I have six grandchildren, right? So my love is ten times over. It just multiplies, and I think the the more that God gives us things like that, the depths of our love can only grow. And the same is true that when God puts things into our hands, gifting or fine, He wants us to learn to be faithful with that and realize we can give it all away, that it all belongs to the Lord, to be faithful stewards with whatever he places into our hands. And when we go through trials and greater trials, I believe just like God multiplies our our love uh, in having children and grandchildren, God multiplies our ability to stand for the Lord through difficulty with the more difficulties that we go through. Amen? So even in giving, it's, it's really a reflection of our heart. And as we give to the Lord, again, it should be a get to, not a have to. And notice what he says there. He says, over and above. And so, and then, then he says at the end of that verse, he says, he gives over and above. He says, I prepared the holy house for my own special treasure of gold and silver. There, it says, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses. Can you imagine a house overlaid in silver? Well, there you go. The gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. So not only did they give the best material, but they got the best craftsmen to build it. Because why? They were building it for the Lord. It says, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Now, I love this. David brought us up his giving, especially uh, over and above. But then he used the occasion to challenge his fellow Israelites to consecrate themselves to the Lord. Consecrated means, you know, basically like, like it, it means really set apart unto the Lord, where you surrender your life fully to God. And he's saying, look, the resources are there. The gifting is there. Who's willing to surrender themselves fully to be used by the Lord? Given the massive amount that David had gathered for the building and the temple, it might be argued that the gifts of the people were unnecessary. But he's asking still that they too, just like David, would give unto the Lord. Too often we'll hear that someone else gave 
And then we think that covers us. Somebody gave a huge gift, so we're... we're co- God has nothing to do with it. We're giving it to the Lord out of our love for Him and for no other reason. And we want to give to those things that are fruitful. And like I said, start with things that minister to you and give to those places. Amen? Then he says there in verse 6, then the leaders of the fathers... Point number, two, point number one was give to the Lord, not to men, but the Lord. Purpose beforehand, give over and above, give of your first fruits. Notice leaders give. It says, then the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, and captains of thousands and hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. So he didn't say, well, if you give, then you can become a leader. He chose leaders amongst those who give. And the same is true in ministry, whatever it may be. It's not, we don't do something so God will use us. God uses us because we've made him the priority and the passion of our life. When God is the priority, when God's the, uh, do you wake up in the morning thinking about Jesus? Do you begin your day with him? Do you spend your day with him? Do you end your day with him? Do you pray for divine appointments every day? Do you walk in intimate fellowship with God? Do you know Jesus intimately or do you just know about him? And it says there that those that that God had chosen to lead were those who gave willingly because they recognized that all this stuff in this, this is all wood, hay, and stubble. This is all chaff. We're fighting over deck chairs on the Titanic, amen? I mean, it's all going down. It's all going to burn. None of it will matter in heaven. Now, we need to be good stewards of what God gives us. And it's okay to have a car and a house to live in. But we just want to make sure that we don't put the house or the car or the job or anything else above the Lord, because then it becomes a false idol. Amen? And so may we give with a cheerful heart. Now, he did say, and I'll I'll go back to this earlier, he said, he that purposes in his heart, in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, everyone who purposes in their heart, so let them give, not grudgingly or out of necessity, but for God loves a cheerful giver. The word purpose means to bring forward, to bring forth from one's stores, to prepare ahead of time. So you want a purpose in your heart to give as unto the Lord. When my wife and I first got married, she did not grow up in a Christian home. My mom led my wife to the Lord. My dad baptized her and I married her. We just kept it all in the family, right? But, but my wife, I sat down with her. We were newlyweds and so we got our paychecks and I go, so here's what we do, babe. We deposit and then we write out a check to the Calvary Chapel in Santa Cruz and then we're going to put this much in saving and then we're going to live on the rest. And she said, well, what if we can't pay our bills? I said, God will provide, but we're going to give to God first. We don't give God the rest. We give God the best and God will provide. We've been married 37 years and God has always provided. He is a faithful God. Amen. And, and we give to him first and it's an automatic thing. We don't debate it, talk about it. It all belongs to him. He says not to give grudgingly. The word grudging there is to have sorrow or pain or grief or annoyance or affliction. It's literally don't give out of pain. Oh, I'm in pain. I don't want to write this check. Then don't. (laughs) Amen. I don't want to have to serve in the children's ministry. Then don't. I don't want to go early and set up all the chairs. Then don't. Amen. We want to do it as unto the Lord with a cheerful heart or don't bother. I truly believe if you give give in pain, you might as well have set it on fire because it's not going to do you any good. And then he says again, and don't give out of necessity. The word necessity there is feeling like you have to. 
Again, when these guys are begging for money on TV and they're manipulating people and they go out and get in their 60 million jet and fly to their $10 million house, a bunch of lying thieves, amen? A bunch of people that are going to be dealt with by Almighty God. We need to pray for their salvation. But they're the ones that are always manipulating people and twisting people's hearts. And, you know, they'll show something that's not even real to manipulate people into giving. And they fleece the flock of God, right? And the reality is that, again, where you're being ministered to, give there. And again, if you aren't giving from a willing heart, don't give. Verse 7, they gave for the work of the house of the Lord 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, and 10,000 talents of silver, and 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Now again, I couldn't add all this up, but this is probably around $7 billion that was given in today's... Uh, but you know, $7 billion sounds like a lot, but do you know that the Rams stadium costs $5 billion? We can build a football stadium for $5 billion. It's okay that they invested in the temple of God the same amount. Can I get an amen to that? And so it says there in verse 8, And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehuel the Gershonite. So here's the pe- there's some people that gave. David gave out of his abundance. He was the king. And he gave faithfully, and he gave over and above, and he even gave out of his you know, emergency fund, if you will, that was set aside for the king. And he gave from that because he, he realized that none, nothing else matters but the kingdom of God. I want God to be glorified. How can I live in a wonderful house and God live in a tent? And he gave with a cheerful heart. Others who couldn't give that, it says here that maybe they had a, maybe they had a, a precious stone of some kind and they would give that. And they would give from whatever they had. And again, the widow's might means more to God than someone who gives, you know, uh, somebody who's worth $10 billion gives 100 grand and, and puts a big ad in the newspaper to let everybody know what they gave, right? And God loves a cheerful heart and God loves a cheerful giver. And notice those who are in leadership were all people that gave. Again, where their treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pastors should be the biggest servant in the building. Again, you see a lot of them, they they have the pastor at the top and the people down here. That's not biblical. The pastors are down here. The people are on the, the Lord's at the top and the people are above. Why? Pastor means servant, under rower. And so we're here to be your servants, to serve you. And that's what God has called us to do. And if we're going to be servants, then we're not going to be motivated by money. Amen? The church I pastored in Santa Cruz got pretty large. And at one point, I would start to get phone calls and, and someone would say, hey, you know, I'm a worship leader. Do you guys need a worship leader? And I said, well, we have a few and we're actually okay. But, uh, and he said, well, you know, if I come there and lead worship, what does the gig pay? And I'm like, yeah, you're not the worship leader, bro. What does the gig pay? No. If somebody's motivated by, and again, look, I also believe, you know, if, if I was full-time or pastors are full-time, we should provide for them so they can feed their families. Can I get an amen to that? And when I was on staff at churches, I would always make sure our senior pastor made enough that he didn't have to work two other jobs so his kids could have shoes. Amen. So again, you don't go into ministry to get wealthy, but the people in ministry should be provided for. But the real heart of someone in leadership is someone who gives and someone who's willing to to give sacrificially as these people were. And then it says in verse 10, the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart, they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. When David saw the people giving, it warmed his heart. Not because he needed the resources. He had plenty. He was the richest man on the planet. He didn't need it. He was rejoicing because he saw 
the heart behind it. And when he saw the heart behind it, it made his heart rejoice because here was somebody that was giving to the Lord. I've told this story to some of you, and I will leave names out because I don't think I should tell names. But when we planted this church, I had been praying for years. Most of you know I was in Santa Cruz for 10 years. I came down here mainly because some stuff with my boys, and we hung out at Rob's church for two and a half years, and I was waiting for my wife to feel ready to plant a church. And one day we're driving home from church. She said, I think it's time to plant a church. Amen. I've been waiting. So I went to Rob and the leaders there, and I said, I want to plant a church. They said, pray about Moore Park or Calabasas. And I said, well, I went online. Moore Park had like 22 churches. Calabasas had one little dying church. I said, well, we're going to Calabasas. So they, anointed, they, they brought me forward for prayer on Sunday nights. The whole church would come together for prayer. They announced I was going to Calabasas. I walked out the back door, and there was a man standing there. And he had tears running down his face. And he said, and we were good friends. He said, do you know where I live? And I said, no. He said, I live in Calabasas. You know what I've been praying for every day for nine months? That you would come to Calabasas and plant a church. And then he handed me a wrinkled up check that was in his Bible for a very large amount of money to help plant the church that he had been praying over for nine months. Now, it's not about the money. It's about the confirmation that this is the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? See, when God guides, God provides. I, I didn't even, I didn't even talk, I didn't thought about Calabasas before the week before. He'd been praying for nine months. God opens the door. We walk through it. Amen? Where God guides, God provides. And so the, the exciting part isn't that, oh, now we have a bunch of money in our bank account. No, it's irrelevant. What matters is we can see the hand of God. And that's why David's rejoicing. Look, the people are giving, which means that they're making God a priority. And they want to build a house for the Lord that's honoring unto him. And you know what? Praise God. And he's excited because he knows he's going to be leaving and he wants them to continue to worship the Lord after he's gone. Again, the poor church in Macedonia, probably Philippi, was a giving church and they did it with joy. In fact, Paul's letter to Philippi characterized them primarily as a people of joy who gave, out, gave with liberality. And so my prayer is that, again, we would be people that give, uh, again, not to earn God's favor, not because we don't need it, God doesn't need it. He's got, we're going to see in a minute, he's got a cattle on a thousand hills. Does he need anything from you? What's the answer? But he chooses to use us. He lets us be involved in what he's doing. And that's a blessing. That's a get to, not a have to. God loves it when we're, our giving is done with the right attitude. Again, in 2 Corinthians 9, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful there is hilarious. Hilarion. It's a guy who gives hilariously. It's a get-to. No, no arm twisting. No, and that's why we will never pass an offering. When our church in Santa Cruz got very large, we never passed an offering. We had a thing in the back and people gave us a felt. We'd have people come to church for like three months and like, do you guys ever take an offering? No, we don't. We have a place in the back, and if you feel led to give, give. Our radio ministry, we never ask for money. Do you have people call us up and give money to our radio ministry specifically because we never ask for money? Like, oh, dude, well, I want to gift you because you guys never ask for us. We never will. See, because God will provide. Amen? And God loves a cheerful giver. And David's heart was blessed to see other people giving because they're putting their trust in the Lord. And that's what God's called us to do. Point number three, recognize where everything comes from. Look at verse 10. It says, therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, Lord, God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is, great, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head over all. 
Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people? that we should be able to offer so willingly as this, for all things come from you, and of our, your own we have given you. For we, we, ha, we are aliens and pilgrims before you, and we are all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. That's a great prayer. Can I get an amen to that? And David prays this as he gathers all the people together, right? We know that all those, the, the musicians were there and that all the, different, the leadership was there and all the gatekeepers, and he's praying this prayer with abundance. By the way, uh, right there in verse 10, where he says, we are all our fathers. That's the first time God is referred to as father in the Bible. It's right there. Where Israel, excuse me, where Israel refers to God as their father. Now, he's been referred that way in other ways, but as Israel saying, you are our father, God, and we follow you. And we're your children. We're, we've been adopted. Into, we're, we follow you, God. We don't follow anybody else. And he refers to him as, you're our father. So David was blessed. The generosity just caused him to, to cry out to the Lord. As you read through there, though, you'll notice he says, look, Anything we have, you gave it to us. It all came from you, Lord. It's not ours. And I'm thankful that we're willing to give back to you what already belonged to you. I mean, Lord, what are we really doing just giving you back 10% of, of, or whatever percentage people give of what you already given us? He says both in verse 12, both riches and honors come and honor come from you. And again, may we recognize where everything comes from. When was the last time you thanked the Lord for your spouse? You should be doing it daily. Can I get an amen to that? My beautiful wife comes from the Lord, and I'm thankful for her. My children, my grandchildren, this fellowship here, you're all a gift from God. You're all a blessing. The job, my secular job I've had for 34 years, I thank God for it. It's God's provision. Amen? Whatever giftings you have, whatever, anything that you have in your hand, if you're a gifted musician, then praise the Lord for it. Amen? If you're, whatever that gifting may be that's in your life, if you're a, a gifted at keeping books, you're a good accountant, and you can take care, help people with their fine, then praise God for that. See, any gift we have, he gets the glory, not us. And we live in a world today that wants to get noticed every time they do anything, even though their gifting came from the Lord. How selfish is that? It's if God gifts you, and then you're the one who takes the praise for what God did. That's all but blasphemous. Can I get an amen to that? Most of you know I play college football, and nothing makes me sicker to the, my stomach than when I watch a guy on TV, and he tackles somebody 12 yards downfield, and he gets up, <laughs> points at his name on his back. He's like, dude, get over yourself and get back in the huddle and shut up. I mean, that's the mentality, right? But there's a, we, have a, we have people that, that anytime anything good happens, they want the credit. They want to be praised. They want their name lifted up. We have all these TV shows where people are trying to become famous. I want to have my own name. I want to have my own clothing line. I want to have my own makeup. I want to have this. I want to have this. I've got 10 million followers. You know what? It doesn't matter how many people are following you, but who you're following. Amen? You think God's going to be impressed on Judgment Day? I have 10,000 followers on TikTok. <laughs> God won't care. <laughs> Amen? I had 2,700 people like my selfie. God won't care. Can I get an amen to that? What really matters is who we are with Jesus Christ. Amen? Who we are in him. 
The riches and the honor come from him. The gifting comes from him. All the, all the possessions that we have come from him. Our ability, look, we lost our building because of COVID. If you weren't here when that happened, we were basically kicked out because we kept meeting and the, and the landlord was nervous. And praise God for Hillcrest Christian School who let us pitch a tent on their property. Can I get an amen to that? So this is a gift from the Lord. And we want to pray for the school here too. Amen? This is where God has us. Praise God for it. Paul is encouraging those who had wealth among them to give to the poor saints in Jerusalem in, uh, in Corinth, these verses I've been quoting. And he was encouraging those who were wealthy to minister to the poor. And we need to make sure that we too don't accumulate so much stuff for ourselves when we have other people that are near us that are hurting. Part of that giving is giving to them. Amen? And again, I love, with, with this, we again need to be careful of our motives. Some people are motivated to give because they are promised that God will make them rich if they give. That is a rotten way to give and don't ever do that. Amen? Now, the second half of his prayer there, he says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? David knew that both the ability and the heart to give were themselves gifts from God. Do you know the Bible talks about that there's a gift of giving? There's a gift of giving. There are people that have a gift to give. They have a generous heart, and often they're the ones that God will bless, again, because they can get them through it, because he can get it to, through them, he gets it to them, so that they can be faithful to minister to other people. And God has blessed us, again, where we live, all of us compared to the world, are doing just fine. Amen? But I think that's one of the greatest verses on giving in the whole Bible. Let me read it again. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? How blessed are we that we're able to give to the Lord and that he has blessed us with resources and then given us the heart to give? Again, we should give uh, both riches out of our and, and all that we have as unto the Lord and give it from a cheerful heart. And again, not to be noticed by men, but to be faithful to God. He says there, as you read down on further, our days on earth are but a shadow. Did you see that down at the beginning of verse 15? And without hope, by emphasizing the weakness of man, David recognizes the greatness of God. See, what the cults do, they all make Jesus less and man more. That's what they all do. And so they'll make Jesus less than he is, They'll make him a, a, you know, a created being instead of the creator of the universe, a God instead of the true and living God. And the cults will always make man more. They'll esteem man greater. You could be God of your own planet one day, or you know, they'll, they'll talk about how great you are. And the reality is, the more we emphasize the greatness of our God, we, the more we realize that we are a shadow of nothing apart from him. Can I get an amen? And that's the exhortation here as you say, look, my life is, means nothing without the Lord. My life really has no value apart from the Lord. But God can use me for his kingdom and for his glory. And what a blessing that is. He says there is shadow and without hope. Can you imagine living right now without Jesus in your life? Look at the world around us. It is so confused. There's, it is such a mess. I mean, everything that's taking place in the world. Here's the good news. As I always say, I've read the end of the book, God wins. We have nothing to be afraid of. Amen? We have nothing to fear. But if you live in the world today and you didn't have the Lord... Boy, I'd be fearful. Amen? The economy is a mess. 
immorality is running rampant. I mean, there's just, God has been removed from almost everything in our country because we live right now in a time that is so godless. What a blessing and honor that we have to not only know the Lord, but to give to the Lord, to serve the Lord, to be gifted by God, and to be used for his kingdom and his glory. What a blessing. And this is what really blows me away. God calls us, God saves us, God redeems us, God forgives us. He knows every wicked, bad thing we've ever done. He loves us anyway. Then he gives us gifts. And then when we use them, it says when we get to heaven, he's going to give us crowns for using the gifts that he gave us after he saved us. And most people believe we'll take those crowns and we'll cast them right back at his feet. Can I get amen to that? See, any good in us is because of him. We have nothing to be prideful or arrogant about. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Amen? God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. And those who are prideful and arrogant, remember, who was the most prideful being ever? Who would that be? That Satan. He got cast out of heaven. I will be like the most high. Yeah, I don't think so. I will, I will, I will. No, no, no. And the mentality, that pridefulness, Lord, help us. There's three kinds of givers I wrote down here. Three kinds of givers. Those who give out of guilt. They need someone to lay a guilt trip on them, you know, a picture of starving children in Africa, and then they'll, and then they'll give. And, and I think we should give to starving children in Africa, but there are those people who use pictures of people with star, of starving children in Africa, and then they keep the money for themselves. Right? We have different movements that are taking place even right now, and then they go try to be accountable, and you can't see where any of the money went. And so that's why I want to, like, look, Bayamba, we've sent people down there. We've vetted that place. We know where that money goes, and it's being used to minister to orphans. And so we want to give to that in a big way. Amen? We know what they're doing at Ohana. We want to give in a big way. We saw on Sunday how God's blessing that church in Brazil. And we want to, we want to be behind that. Amen? We want to give to ministries where God's being glorified and the ministries are fruitful. And they're not about men, but they're about honoring the Lord. The second is those who be, can need to be convinced that it's worthwhile to give. Uh, someone related to me, I don't want to narrow it down too much, not, not, not my kids or anybody, but a little further out relationship. They, they started coming to the church I pastored in Santa Cruz. And then he got saved. And then he came to me and he said, well, I'll give you the church, but I want to tell you where you spend it. And I said, well, we don't really need your money. It's God's money anyway, but you can see where every dime is spent in the church. Well, no, I'll only give if I could tell you exactly where you spend it. I said, yeah, you don't tell God where he wants to use his money, but you can see where we spend every single dime. And if you have a problem with any of it, don't give. Can I get an amen to that? But there's a mentality that some people want to, you know, hey, I'll give, but, but if you give, it's not yours anymore. And by the way, it never was yours. It was always God's. Can I get an amen to that? So everything I have is the Lord's. My house is, I'm wearing his flip-flops tonight. Can I get amen to that? His slippers, if I was in Hawaii, amen? And then thirdly, it says, one who is looking to invest again in something that is eternal. Somebody who has a heart to give cheerfully, who's investing in the kingdom of God. And they just know that the Lord has moved on their heart to serve and, and to give unto the Lord. By the way, we need to learn not just to be givers, but we need to learn to receive. I'll be honest with you. It's way easier for me to give than for me to receive. Anybody like that besides me? Isn't it easier to give? And it's humbling to receive. When somebody comes and says, hey, somebody at church, hey, we really felt a heart to help you guys, and they help you. And it's humbling. When my wife and I were newlyweds, I, uh, I had a sales job, and they, they paid the top rep each week in, in cash, in $100 bills. 
And so I got paid for basically more money than ever been paid in my life. And then I lost my wallet. I'll just tell you what it was. It was $3,000. This is in 1985. Okay. It's more money than I'd ever made in my life. Right. I was making $5 an hour at a lumberyard before I got this job. And our rent was due in two days. And I lost $3,000. I went to a payphone. I took my wallet out. And then I didn't have any change. I ran inside to get changed. I came back out. My wallet was gone. Idiot. So that's my fault. Right? And so like, my wife and I are like, what are we going to do? And I don't want to tell my parents, hey, mom and dad, I'm an idiot. So here's what happened. And here's what's amazing. Somebody at church gave the exact amount of our rent and wanted it given to us. And we went to church that following Sunday. And the pastor came up and said, somebody put this in the offering, they want to give it to you, and it's the exact amount of our rent. And I never found out who it was, and they couldn't have even known. But see, but it was harder for me to take that than it was to give, but I was also incredibly blessed because I was willing to receive it, amen? So it's okay to let your needs be known so we can, take, so we can care for you, amen? Those of us who have enough, we want to bless you if you don't. Can I get an amen to that as well? We want to bless them. We want to care for them. Let's move on. Verse 15. Notice it says there in verse 15, again, verse 16, excuse me, and that give all that you have to the Lord. Look what it says here. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build your house for you, holy name, holy name is from your hand. The thing we built for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. So everything that we gave was yours to begin with. We're just giving it back. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I will willingly offer all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. So David is saying, look, I know, Lord, that you love a cheerful giver. And I thank you, Lord, that you've allowed me to give. And I know that everything I had was already yours anyway. And aren't you so totally blessed that all these other people are willingly giving too? And here's David's heart in the midst of all of this. Lord, I know that everything I gave you was yours already. I didn't do anything all that spectacular. I just gave back to you what already belonged to you. And I'm blessed that you gave it to me so I could give it back. And what a blessing to see all these people willfully giving unto the Lord. David knew it was important to emphasize that his offering had been made willingly. It wasn't something he was doing to manipulate God. It was something that he was doing because of his love for the Lord. Then it says in verse 18, he says there, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. May our people always freely give. May our people always focus on you. May our people always make you the priority and passion. David knows he's dying soon. I don't want them to start serving false gods. I don't want them to lose sight of you. I don't want them to make anything more important than you. Lord, please help them to stay right where they are today. He wanted to continue to make God the priority and the passion of their, of, of their lives. Verse 19, And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Did Solomon do that? What's the answer? Did Solomon, was he remained faithful as king? What's the answer? No. Solomon was the wisest man. Think about this. The Bible said he asked God, God said, I'll give you anything you want. He asked for wisdom. Praise God. Solomon wrote 
most, much of the Psalms, the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, wrote books in the Bible. What happened at the end of Solomon's life? How many women did he have? A thousand. There's no mistaking that he's a little over the top on wives. Can I get an amen to that? He's supposed to have one. And then we know because of the women he married that came from pagan lands, he began to worship their false gods and set up idols to their false gods. So here's the hard part. David was a godly example. He taught his son the way that he should grow up. He was a Christ-like example to him. He prayed for him, and Solomon still chose to go sideways. Now, I do believe that Solomon is in heaven because our God is a forgiving and a gracious God. Amen. But things did not end well for Solomon. And so when we pray for our kids, we want God's highest. We want to see them walk with the Lord. We can't force them to follow God. Solomon had a wonderful example. Isn't it amazing? And it's heartbreaking. You'll see an on-fire Christian family, and they'll have kids that are wayward. And then you'll see a family that has taught their kids about nothing, and their kids are on fire for God. And we're thankful for that. Amen? But it's heartbreaking when you think, why not? So David prays for his son. And David, again, wants to do everything he can to honor the Lord and raise his son to be a godly man. Then it says in verse 20, uh, and we go here to point number five, give all that you have to the Lord. Number five, worship and celebrate the Lord. Then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord, God of our fathers, and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the King. Now I love this. When you're really worshiping from the right heart, it will produce an action. And what are they doing? They're, not, they're worshiping the Lord and they come to a place where they fall on their face before Almighty God. They surrender their lives fully to Him. When was the last time you did that? When I'm in a place of desperate, the, when I'm the most desperate, I'm on my face, in my bedroom, face down on the carpet, crying out to the Lord. And usually it's when something is going difficult with one of my kids. And you're in a desperate place and you just cry out to God. And that's what we see here. They're not just praising him half-heartedly. They're not just mumbling words to a worship song they've heard before. They're literally laying flat out before Almighty God. They're surrendering their lives fully to the Lord. They have a heart and a passion to serve Him. They say, bless the Lord. It wasn't enough to have that feeling in their heart, but they wanted to demonstrate it in their actions, and they fell on their faces before Him. The word blessed there is barak, and it means to, to endure with power for success, prosperity, and fruitfulness. Again, they, they cried out to Allah, and they said, Lord, bless. And we, we are aware, that, again, of how God blesses us, but do we realize Again, that God is blessed by our worship. Do you know that there's a way that you can bless God? And the way that we bless Him, we worship Him and we obey Him. Highest form of worship is obedience. When we obey God, we bless Him. And when we worship God, it's a blessing unto Him. It's a sweet-smelling aroma in His presence, the Bible tells us. They bow down. The word, uh, again, there in the original language means to, to bow down their heads and the root refers to bowing of one's head, accompanying and emphasizing disobedience before the Lord. And again, it's, it's the deep, deepest form of worship. The word worship there is, is to bow down as well. And it commonly occurs in the form of to lay down and to worship before your king. So they did this homage before the Lord. And notice it says in verse 20, don't be thrown off. And it says, and the king. Now the king is up in front of them and they're showing honor to the king. Now they're not worshiping the king but they're showing honor to the king. And the Bible does tell us that we are to submit to those that God has placed in authority over us and we should honor them. Now, there is an exception to that. 
And it's when those that we honor in authority over us command that we disobey God, and then we choose God and not man. Can I get an amen to that? So we honor, the, you know, if the police officer pulls you over, you show him respect and honor. Someone in authority, you know, pay your taxes. If the IRS contacts you, go do, do every, you know, honor those in authority over you. Amen? And I would say your boss at work, honor your boss at work, honor those that God's put in positions of authority until they tell you or command you to disobey what the word of God says. And then we choose to obey God rather than man. Amen? And so they were showing submission to David as their king. Then verse 21, and they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the next day, a thousand bulls. Think about that. When somebody's barbecuing two street over from my house, a little bit of tri-tip, I mean, I'm out in the front yard wondering where it is because it smells so good. Can you imagine what a thousand bulls smelled like? Man, they could probably smell that in Syria, amen, from Jerusalem. They're probably smelling it in Jordan. What they got going on over there, right? So a thousand bulls uh, sacrificing to the Lord, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all of Israel. So they ate and drank before the Lord with great gladness on that day. And they made Solomon, the son of David, king for the second time and anointed him before the Lord to be their leader and Zadok to be the priest. So they anointed Solomon as king. Some believe that this feast took place right after David died. Others believe this took place right before David died. So David was a witness to it. I tend to lean on it's probably right after David went to heaven and now they're, you know, installing Solomon as king and they're worshiping the Lord through all these sacrifices. Again, all the sacrifices point to Jesus. We don't have time to go through that, but they, they clearly do. And it says in verse 23, then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David, his father, and prospered and all Israel obeyed him. So he was put in his king as a young man. David had pleaded with them. He put people around him to make him successful. And the people honored him as king, even though he was a young man, because, again, of their respect for the Lord and no doubt their respect for David and the position that God had placed Solomon in. And all the leaders, verse 24, and the mighty men, now remember, these are David's mighty men. Remember the mighty men that traveled with him? Some of them had killed thousands by themselves. These guys were mighty men of God, it says there. And all the leaders and the mighty men and all the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all of Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as not had been to any king before him in Israel. So David, or so Solomon, David prayed, David did everything he could to make Solomon successful. He surrounded him with godly men to watch over him and lead and guide him. And now Solomon is put in that position and God's blessing and his hand is upon him. But now it's up to Solomon to respond. And the same is true for us. God's called you. If you're born again, he called you, he saved you, he's redeemed you. He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's a loving, holy, perfect, righteous God. He never takes his eyes off of you. He's gifted you, he's called you, but now it's up to you to obey him. Now it's up to you to respond. He's not gonna force you to do that, amen? And then finally, we see here the end of King David's reign. Look what it says here as we finish up. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel, and the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor, and Solomon his son reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David 
first and last. Indeed, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer. Now, this is kind of the bibliography, right? Remember when you used to write book reports, you had to write in the back where you got all the stuff? Well, here's where a lot of this information comes from. Look what it says. It says, indeed, written in the book of Samuel, that's 1 Samuel, the seer, in the book of Nathan, the prophet, that's 2 Samuel, right? In the book of Gad, Gad was a man who stood alongside him. With all the rain and his might, with all the events that happened to him in all of Israel and to the, all, the, all the kingdoms of the land. So remember that we're getting a history lesson, but remember these people are returning to Jerusalem and now they have heard how all the materials for the original temple were gathered together. Now they've heard how David did everything he could to put Solomon in the right place to be successful. And now they've heard about just how the temple should operate and that God should be honored above all else and how when you honor God, how God blesses you. And it's preparing these people coming back from Babylon to honor God in the same way, to follow the examples that have gone before them. And again, we'll see in coming weeks and months as we continue through the Old Testament, just how they respond. So in closing, uh, God loves a cheerful giver. Give to the Lord. We know that those who truly lead are those who give. Recognize where everything you have comes from. It comes from the Lord. Give all that you have to the Lord. Worship and celebrate the Lord and all he has done for you and live a life that leaves a godly testimony like King David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. Lord, may we be cheerful givers, recognizing that all we have belongs to you. The very breath that we breathe, the health that we have, the families that surround us, this church and our fellowship here, the jobs that you've given us, uh, the talents that we have, they all come from you. And Lord, may you and you alone be glorified. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. Again, give us a heart to give, to love, and to serve. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said...